This is the hard move. Prepare for the worst of us this episode, as Jamie and I load the Samaritan, lose ourselves to our doom, and make friends with the oldest cat, as the Division unleashes the holy symbol arsenal. And he was like, which one is it? No, it's oh, not this one. Oh, so good. Yeah. That's <laughs> is embarrassing, it? and I'm glad that no, it's not it's been recorded okay. for posterity. <laughs> um, oh, right, you know, you're like... a monster. <laughs> I am, I am. <laughs> Like, yep. I'm not going to name them. My name is Sydney Chris. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm an RPG designer and descriptivist. My guest today plays a wonderful foil to me. They and I share similar but different approaches to a lot of topics like death, spirituality, and even game design. They're one of the foremost designers in tarot space, and as I'm grateful for, their latest beta pushes them forward as a leader empowered by the apocalypse design. It is a true joy to invite on Jamie. Jamie, please introduce us to who you are, including your wonderful voice and your pronouns. Hi, so I am Jamie, uh, they, them pronouns, and yeah, I am uh, the single person behind Sword Queen Games. Uh, I love to make a lot of games. I was known chiefly for just making a lot of small to medium-sized games uh i'm finally slowing down my itch catalog is kind of ridiculous i have 40 games uh varying size (laughs) and quality some of them are not great (laughs) but i love making games i'm so glad i think your um your enthusiasm really like uh boils through uh, Barry Cook and I talk about like enthusiast as as a role in the RPG community, and I think that you definitely slot into that very strongly. Yeah, I just really, I just love, I love making games. Like I remember people would ask, "What is your heartbreaker game?" or "What game?" I go, uh, "Do you make just because you want to?" And I was like, "Those are all my games. I, I am not good at making a game I'm not super excited about." <laughs> Oops, all heartbreakers. <laughs> I also wanted to sort of slot in here uh, as well at the start um, that you're a part of the uh, flourishing RPG Southeast Asia scene. Um, are you able to sort of tell me a little bit about where you fit into that and what that means to you? Yeah, it's really super exciting. So I'm from the Philippines. Uh, specifically, I'm from Manila. And the RPG scene, uh, Southeast Asia, it's really quite active. Uh, I didn't realize how active we were until we got on Twitter, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> then I saw how many there were of us and how excited we were to get into games. So uh, I know folks from Singapore, Malaysia, uh, the Philippine scene, the Manila scene is really quite active. We have, um, and this is why I personally believe that an RPG space uh, is not just about designers, Um I think we're just like a small part of it. Uh, I think first and foremost, I'm a player and I'm a GM. I really just make games so I can play them, right? Uh, or run them. <laughs> uh, that's that's the main reason I make them. Uh, but we have a lot of people who uh, really support the community. They're there mainly to help create those spaces. So some, for example, uh, Gamers and GMs is one. Uh, they focus on events. So uh, Rachel Tang and Eric... Lignowski uh, are really behind that. Uh, we have a few other people like Pam Ponzalan. Uh, and uh, so a lot of them make up the Filipino scene. Uh, they're really supporting and creating those spaces, uh, even now during these times. Uh, so for people listening in the future, it is currently 2020. It is a time, uh, but we're still <laughs> supporting each other. <laughs> we're still doing our best. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, so we have events. Uh, we support each other. It's still very small in comparison to what's going on in other countries. Like when I hear about thousands of people showing up at RPG events in the States, we are not at that level. But, uh, but I think uh, we are really enthusiastic. There is the issue that to get into RPGs, there are a lot of gates that we're trying to break down to help more people get into it. Um, things like language and class and stuff that get in the way for sure. But uh, but we really like games and we're really trying to do our best uh, to really uh, do what we can. And I like how across different countries, we're all here to support each other uh, in Southeast Asia. And I think a lot of it was also in direct response to kind of like how American games were representing Asia as a monolith when mm -hmm. that is like supremely not the case uh so definitely uh you should you should check out our games like the hashtag rpg sea is a great place to start uh there's so many of us there yeah i think one of the best things that people can do that aren't familiar with it is just go to rpg sea and just start following people and yeah. like the amount of uh exposure that i've had to a different world of of play like not just to a different world of um of design but also to uh, like, as you said, as designers, we're a small part of it. Um, how people engage with the games in Southeast Asia is um, is beautifully different and is something that has, uh, I think, grown me as a person just, like, through secondhand exposure to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like, I really, I didn't realize uh, how rich those different perspectives were. I'm really glad that there are more people getting, like, getting their voices out there, making games. I think it's making a huge, huge difference for sure. Absolutely. Um, and I want to talk about one specific project that I think is making a huge difference. Like, I have to talk about Apocalypse Keys with you because mm -hmm. one of the best uh, compliments that I can give to a game is to look at it and say, oh, yeah, no, I wish I designed that. Um, <laughs> and Apocalypse Keys is, like, really high on that list for me. Uh, are you able to give us, like, a, a quick thing on what Apocalypse Keys is as a project? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Apocalypse Keys is definitely my biggest baby yet. Um, so because before this, I have tried to make PPTA games, but this is the first really big one that I'm really confident about. Uh, so basically, Apocalypse Keys is about monsters fighting monsters. Uh, we are holding back the apocalypse together. Uh, we are agents who work for this mysterious organization called The Division. Uh, my partner worked really hard to make this racronym, uh, which stands for the Department of Interdimensional Vigilance and International Security Interdisciplinary Operations Network. Um, he was stuck on the last, the end for a long time. So good. <laughs> it was really fun. It. Yeah, so we are monstrous agents who work for The Division. We are holding back the apocalypse. So it's a game that focuses on investigation, on mystery, uh, but you're trying to not go too far. You're still trying to regulate and control yourself because you are still dangerous to the world around you. You exist in a world that is made for humans and not for you. Uh, and so really depends on found family and helping each other through things. It gets really emotional. Uh, so my biggest touchstones really were Hellboy and the films and the comics, as well as the BPRD uh, comic, which is a much shorter acronym. Uh, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> not, as, it's not as strong as division, right? Yeah. It mm. um, and, and also just in the, in the way when you say that we are playing as monsters, the, the playbooks are not monsters in the same way that, uh, Monster Hearts or Urban Shadows or or a Monster of the Week monsters are. It's um the the titles of them are things like the Summoned, the the Pure, the Found. Uh, 
what what does it mean to sort of approach monsters from that layer of metaphor? Yeah, it was um, because I was I was like uh, so. What I like to do when I make a game is I just obsessively watch or read uh, the thing I'm drawing from because mm-hmm. it's fun. I like I like breaking things down and and seeing like <laughs> for example, oh, Hellboy comics. This is more a skill based RPG mm-hmm. compared to uh, the films. Feel far more PBTA um, because there are stronger themes. So. When I looked at it, I don't personally, right? I don't want to attach monster concepts to a playbook because I want to give the players maximum freedom on what monsters they can bring into it. I really wanted instead to push into themes, uh, to push into the emotional ideas that are behind things. So the summoned is really about um, who your creator is. Uh, it's about, it's it's a straightforward, like you can build Hellboy with this monster. But when I look at Hellboy, I don't think what's most important about him is that he's a demon. I think the most important thing about him is he is carrying prophecy, right? He, hmm. he is trying to resist this destiny. So the playbook is really right. about pushing back or using that destiny as much as you like. Like when right. I see the pure, which is based on Liz Sherman, it's not about her being a fire starter. It's about her being so devastating that collateral damage follows her everywhere she goes, that she's willing to give away her power mm-hmm. when she has the chance to do it, right? That she has to convince herself that she can be worthy of love. And that's what I want the pure yeah. playbook to be about. Uh, I, I also want to ask, because you mentioned touchstones in there as, as Hellboy, um, I'm getting, and I couldn't find it in your list of touchstones, but this uh, is really bleeding control to me. Is this is that oh, something that yeah. you like have played or? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I love control. It is absolutely beautiful. My partner has played it through. I tried playing it, um, but I have uh, lately my temporal lobe epilepsy has been complicated and mm-hmm. I can't even handle Animal Horizon I mean, Animal Crossing New Horizons. So how can I handle control? Um, but you know, I still, uh, I still watched him. He, I still watch my partner play mm-hmm. uh, through it, and he loves showing me the videos. I really love it so much. Um, I will say that the second mystery available in Apocalypse Keys in its current beta version is just purely control. I just ripped control and took parts <gasps> I liked. It is too. It's called The Oldest House. It's very good. It I haven't, I haven't read that mystery yet. That's my next thing. Um, I. I, uh, yeah, I, I love it, and I'm so glad. When I read the your know, like flavor text through it, it just has that um, really succinct, evocative uh, sense. Um, yeah, and I I just love the mystery of control. Like I, it's just so good, right? Like mm-hmm. when she walks around in this place, I I really wanted to evoke that that sense as well. And I think my players picked it up because my first long play test when we described what the vision looked like, we brought up brutalist uh architecture like it really mm. felt very control uh so it's a lot of fun uh, that's wonderful it's wonderful um i also want to ask you what you mean by it's in a beta at the moment so we've said beta a couple of times uh mm. that is the current uh the current rpg design and release schedule is you write something you do a kickstarter and then it gets released um this is yeah. being released in a in a very stripped down form uh, where it has everything you need to play, but not none of the like. Uh, it's it's built for people who have an understanding of Powered by the Apocalypse. Um, mm-hmm. At this point, what 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 is your plan, and what does it mean to sort of release something as a beta, and then what will that look like going forward? Yeah, so I'm really inspired by what's been going on at Itchio, like the idea of releasing a living game. Um, I feel, and I was also inspired by your thread, Sid, when you talked about having a different type of release. 
right? Like, uh, actually, I will say Apocalypse is also inspired by another sin thread. I will bring that up <laughs> later, I'm sure. Just lots of inspiration all over the place. Um, but you brought it up, like you you talked about like releasing it in a certain form. And then every time it gets, uh, there's a new big release, you like up the price. And so maybe you bring it to Kickstarter or at some point it just goes into full release where there's a print version. And I really like that more um, because like, I, I I have a lot of Kickstarter um, games that I really love, but um, at the same time, I feel like I wasn't really uh, part of the process uh, or I got a very different game than I thought I was going to get. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yep. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to name names, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I know this feeling so, very well. Right. Right. That's why I appreciate things like Ashcan editions or beta. So you have a better idea. Like you can see, uh, I'm very, I record a lot of my playtests, like most of them and they're all available. So people can see how it plays. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I am a slave to my <laughs> format. You sent me a bunch of moves. I picked the one that I loved uh, and it is infecting my dreams. I'm very excited about it. It's a move I have to talk to you about. So let us waste no more time. Can you please uh, read for us the first section of Holy Symbol Arsenal? Yeah, absolutely. So the division curates a collection of certified holy symbols and assigns them to agents as needed. When you take this move, answer at least one of the following questions. So there are three questions. Uh, What's the story behind the holy symbol you procured for this collection? What holy symbol affects you negatively and which agent is it assigned to? And the last one is what makes this arsenal valuable? Uh, and I love that. I love the idea of this um, picking this move, then forcing you to like generate fiction based on that. But I think the mm-hmm. bit of this move that's like tingling every fiber in my spine is this second half. Uh, are you able to read for us uh, the move itself, please? Yeah, for sure. So when you pull out your arsenal of holy symbols as an aggressive show of force, tell the keeper how many darkness tokens you are willing to discard before making the roll. Roll plus number of tokens discarded, zero to three. And on an eight to 10, you find the perfect holy symbol. Tell everyone what it is and how it disables, hurts, or weakens your opponent. And on an 11 plus, you find the perfect symbol, but you feel your own powers of darkness recoiling from it. If you decide to still use the holy symbol, mark doom. Tell everyone how it mutilates, destroys, or drains your opponent. And lastly, on a seven minus, something has happened to your arsenal that compromises it. The keeper will tell you what it is. You may have to do something specific to use your holy symbol arsenal again. Ah, that's so good. Um, (laughs) I think the first thing that's going to pop up to a lot of people is that this is a format they're not familiar with. Um, For the most part, the the game that I first engaged with that taught me this format um, is a... French game that has been now translated into English, but like, uh, I unfortunately uh, stumbled at its first Kickstarter and succeeded at the second and is um, not as well known as I would like it to be. Yeah, it's such a shame. I feel like we should all be talking about it. (laughs) So to to put um, words with uh, Liberté by Vivian Faison, if you've been following my Twitter at all, I talk about Liberté so much, Um, but that is I think we'll, we'll talk about it like through the lens of this because uh, this is a move that deserves to be talked about on its own steam as well. So um, let's go through core mechanic here. Um, this movie is very different. It says uh, you choose how many darkness tokens that you discard and then roll with that number. And then 
there's eight to ten, eleven plus, and seven minus. Uh, seven minus is our 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 miss, or, or mm-hmm. uh, for one of a better term, our eight to ten is our success, and eleven plus is success with cost. So, what I want to ask you, I guess first and foremost, is what does it mean to have a move where the success with cost is the bigger number? Yeah. Um, I joke with my partner that the reason I wanted to do this is because he rolls high all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But that aside... um, I was really inspired uh, by your thread about it, Sid, about uh, discussing Liberté because mainly the idea of going too far. I was like, what does that mean? I, versus like, it's no longer just success, but something goes wrong. There's the idea of you do too much or you go too far or like it was so dramatic in my mm-hmm. mind. Uh, and I love the idea of because it's like this for most of the game. Um, in fact, all of the game. I used to have some moves that didn't, but players would get caught up and get confused. So I stuck to it like every time 11 plus is when we take things too far or things don't go according to plan. Um, but I think it's also, it it goes back to Hellboy because I think that happens to him a lot where he goes too yep, far. Yep. Because <laughs> yeah. he's the big strong guy, right? Yeah, he is. <laughs> right. Or like things don't go exactly according to plan. Uh, so I really like that aspect a lot. Um, and in play, it's really fun because the the players are always wondering how much do they want to push? Mm-hmm. Right. Because because if you just had to hit 10 higher, then you'll say, OK, I'm going to use all my darkness tokens. I'm just going to cash in uh, everything that I have, like three or four or whatever. But if you know you could go too far, then what do you do, right? And here it's about tokens discarded because you're not depending on your darkness. You're not depending on your powers uh, that your darkness gives you. Instead, you're depending on the holy uh, symbol arsenal. Okay. Um, so that that how much are you going to depend on the holy symbol? And is it going to let you down <laughs> when you do so? Uh, and and it's really fun. So because, because it's so swingy um, and you're not sure what to expect, it keeps every role really exciting. It's super fun. Oh, that's phenomenal. I'm so glad you're having such good, like, results with that. Um, mm-hmm. we, we keep saying darkness. Darkness is like capital D darkness. In fact, it's it's full caps darkness. Uh, <laughs> what What is darkness in Apocalypse Keys and what does it mean as, like, a token economy? Yeah. So, um, the thing is, like you, uh, I find stats are kind of boring, Um like, like they're, I mean, you exactly brought it up in the thread. I have to give you credit, right? Like how when you first make the character, it's kind of like, oh, cool. So I have a plus one here or a plus zero there. and But then after that, it's never part of the conversation. Like after that, it's just, it's it's static, right? So, yeah, right, right. Uh, it, it just gets a little boring. So instead, what Apocalypse Keys does is that every playbook has different ways you can gather darkness tokens. So for example, uh, I'll give two different examples so you can see, uh, people who are listening can see the difference. Uh, for the summoned, you gain uh, tokens of darkness when you, and you can always choose to gain two to four, uh, in original and Liberté, it's like one to three. But I found players are too safe, always picking one. So I was like, let's go two to four so you don't have a choice. Oh, cool. The, dark- the darkness is calling to you. What can you do? <laughs> That's very good. When you make the character, you also have to choose what the darkness demands of you. This is your possible terrible prophecy. This is what you're trying to resist doing. So it's a way for the player, the GMs, to always check in and have like a structure to lean on, like have a narrative 
theme. But going back to how you gain darkness. So the summoned will gain two to four tokens when they feel unloved or abandoned, when they overreact with violence, when they ask someone to give them their best shot and not hold back, or when they ask someone to love them and only ever them. So it's it's basically Hellboy. Um, Yeah, yeah. like... Ask someone to tell me of their past is is a mm-hmm. an active thing you can do at the table. But then there is also feel lonely or rejected. And that doesn't require character action. That doesn't require you to, like, steal a spotlight moment and do a thing. You can just be like, oh, uh, you know, um, the summoned has asked the pure to love them and only them. Well, I'm going to take some darkness now because I'm feeling rejected at this point. Oh my gosh, that exactly happened in my game. One of the things, um, the, the decisions that is made here by the players is how willing are they to engage with going too far, right? How, how, how important is success to them and how does that relate to exactly. failing yeah. versus going too far, right? So, one of the mm-hmm. things that happens in, in play for this, for people who haven't played this, this model, is most of the time that the, like, bell curve on any dice or whatever for this is that if you spend one or two tokens, most of the time you'll get an eight to ten. Half mm-hmm. of the time you'll fail, half of the time you'll go too far. Mm-hmm. And so, the question often comes down to, do you spend zero because you're more concerned about going too far or do you spend three because you're more concerned about what failure looks like? I want to bring up that your 11 plus mm-hmm. then gives the players an out and says, um, you find the perfect symbol, but you feel your own powers of darkness recoiling from it, which is very good because mm-hmm. you're discarding darkness and then that darkness interacts with a symbol. Um, and then it says, if you decide to still use the holy symbol, why did you make the decision to give the players an opportunity to to like back out of the move there? Yeah, because like uh, I honestly wanted to give the GM or the player a chance to like have fun describing what that looks like, how the recoil happens, and um, and I guess like uh, also at the same time, I'm I always offer Doom as a temptation. Like mm-hmm. uh, Doom is always, if you compare the Doom moves that a playbook can have or the Doom options, it's always, it's going to be easier to get what you want, but you will bring yourself closer to yeah. becoming a harbinger. Okay, we, we need to unpack this before we go any further. So let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about capital D Doom again, right? Like Do- Doom is a function of the game. What What mm. is Doom fictionally and mechanically? Yeah, so Doom is... Because the idea is this organization, Division, is using you monsters to fight against monsters, but there isn't much difference between the two of you, right? So uh, I've had a lot of fun as a GM uh, with these harbingers saying, why are you holding yourself back for the humans? Oh, you're a monster. (laughs) I am, I am. (laughs) And it's like, why are you... Uh, and and it's a lot of fun because a lot of these division moves especially would generate NPCs. And so I love having the NPCs getting dragged into danger or providing those mirrors. And so the Doom plays into that. Basically, Doom is a tracker. Um, you can you can tick it off uh, depending on certain choices you make. It's so funny. So my playtest group, they were at first going, yeah, yeah, I'm going to mark all the time. And so, <laughs> but by the eighth session... They were like, oh, no, now I kind of want to pull my character back <laughs> from the Ed show, too. But it's really fun. Like, you create these characters that you think you want them to 
uh, to fall into it. Like, but that's really what I want, right? I really want players to have fun with going back and forth on it. You can get certain advances to, to, uh, to sort of clear up your doom. I also like um, put in moves that are clearly about pushing back the doom track, right? So mm. you can unmark doom uh, in certain ways, depending on which move you get. Like one of the most popular moves is the orphanage visit, where you get to visit the orphans at the division and you unmark <laughs> doom when you hang out so with the kids. <laughs> but yeah, so that's doom basically. And every time you hit, um, you get a doom advance when you hit five of those, uh marks then you get to unlock uh, a doom move which is more powerful uh usually you don't even have to roll you just have to mark doom and something but, awesome yeah happens. but you do have to mark doom and that's that's the thing about the beautiful spiral right is that yeah you your, your first one is take a doomed move and then you get that doomed move and that makes you pick more and then you take more doomed moves and then right at yeah. the end of it when you can't take any more you retire your character and become a harbinger of doom which is yes. very strong <laughs> So it's a lot of fun. I have like uh, currently three characters that are on the verge of becoming harbingers. So mm. we're going to see what happens with that. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's really a lot of fun. Um, the Doom moves are some of my favorites. Um, a lot of them are a lot of fun. Yeah, they, they're really strong. But also, and this is what I love about it, is that you don't have to engage with the moves. Like if you, yeah. uh, as we said before, you hit 11 plus, you are given the option to pull back, you don't mark Doom. And like if you want to play um, the pure and not go into the, um, you know, giving into your power and, and letting it like remove who you are, you can you can just not mark all that much Doom yeah. and just take the other moves. Yeah, and it's that's actually a really fun moment also because everyone stares at the player, mm -hmm. right? They're like, are you going to do it? Are you going to mark Doom? Right, that's Or are you okay with it not working, right? Okay. Like, And you're going to put the rest of us in a bad spot. So <laughs> it's so a lot of fun. G'day, movers and shakers. Today is our first designer-sponsored episode. Uh, Jamie and I got together and we discussed how much we wanted to introduce Apocalypse Keys to my listeners and personally how much I wanted to get you involved in uh, playing these big stories of emotionality and darkness. So, for the next month, Hard Move listeners can get Apocalypse Keys beta for 25% off by going to temporalhiccup.itch.io slash hardmove25. And that link is in our show notes. In doing so, not only will you get a great product that is pushing out my favorite edges of PBTA design, but you'll also support the hard move by showing that our listeners really do care about the games that we talk about. For our Patreon backers, and that includes people like Blake, Kate, and my dad, there's another benefit in our Patreon. Check out the notes there. Uh, our Patreon backers can get access to exclusive full-length episodes as well. In this one, Jamie and I talk for an hour and 20 minutes about playtesting and development of new games and new systems, especially in a game like this where it's uh, trying to move so far outside of the collective knowledge that we already have on games, uh, bringing in new stuff. Playtesting is a huge part of that development cycle. For those of you who have been helpful in, in supporting us on the Patreon, uh, thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. For those who can't uh, and who do want to help themselves out as well, please, uh, temporalhiccup.itch.io, hardmove25. Uh, it really does look good for the show uh, if we can get a couple of people buying the game through that link. Um, for the developers of any work that meets the hardmove design brief that want to come on and talk about it like we did with Jamie and Apocalypse Keys today, 
uh, please get in touch with me. I'd love to bring more games to my to my audience. Fellow fans of The Hard Move, this is Sean Fager. I'm going to take a wild guess and say that a fair number of you enjoy seeing how the particulars of a game's mechanics affect the moment-to-moment play, for better or worse. And if that's true, you should take a look at the actual play reports and the consulting insights on Ron Edwards' site, adeptplay.com. There's even information there about hiring Mr. Edwards himself in the consultancy position if you're working on your own role-playing game. Again, that's adeptplay.com. Can I ask from a from a um, GM's perspective mm. uh, slash designer's perspective because you're you're doing both? Um, when someone on eleven plus chooses not to use the holy symbol, mm-hmm. so uh, again eleven plus find the perfect symbol. If you decide to still use it, mark doom. Tell everyone how it mutilates, destroys, or drains your opponent. Uh, there's another thing we need to talk about in here. But first, if someone chooses <laughs> not to, what does that then trigger in you as a GM? It does does that then treat it as a fail state or does that then like what would you do then as a gm does nothing happen do you usually yeah yeah no that's a really good question and that's why i need to to test this more but for me personally as a gm what i've done is they get to unmark a condition because they have a moment of clarity like they look down at this holy symbol and they realize you know like they give them a moment of peace in their pain it's very like intense uh so i'll either have them remove a condition or i will say uh your darkness resonates take two tokens of darkness yeah that's so i still give them something right yeah that's that's really good because that then provides a cool fictional story of like, do you go toward the dark or the light? Um, yeah. Because the bit we need to talk about in this, and the bit that makes this this game incredibly good, um, we get one hard F in this, and I did not use it there, and I'm <laughs> proud of myself. The bit that makes this exceptionally good is that um, on an eight to ten, you disable, hurt, or weaken your opponent. On an eleven plus, you mutilate, destroy, or drain your opponent. You are amazing. That is so good <laughs> because that's like I think I think what you've captured in here that a lot of these um, go too far systems we need a word for it but we'll get there mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah, probably yeah. going to become the key system or something named after you because that's that's <laughs> no. how it's good I think no let's let's start it down so I think a lot of these key systems um, where they where they struggle is that the eight to ten and the eleven plus don't feel different enough. Yeah, they don't exactly. feel like you're going too far. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is a move that does that exceptionally. And I love it so much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, um, I just love that. Yeah. Cause like when I first did it, I also noticed there wasn't much of a difference and I wanted it to feel like, no, you really go too far. Like you can't hold back. Like there's a part of you. Um, and, and I really did it to also reflect the marginalized experience, right? As a person, you always feel like you have to control yourself. You have to not go too far and then, but it's building up and then you tend to lash out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you either so definitely... choose to recoil from it and take more darkness or <laughs> right. you lean into it and yeah. Yeah, that's, exactly. Uh... That's what I wanted to. Uh, it's it's really fun because then they go back and forth like, do I mark the doom? But then if I do, it's going to go too far to definitely really like mutilate, destroy or drain compared mm-hmm. to if I just disable, hurt or weaken. So it's really so much fun. Something I've found um, that this and a lot of uh, RPG SEA games do is have like a very um, different approach to violence and like what that violence means. And and in your speak there about how 
you know, as a as a queer person, you tend to hold a lot of things in, or as a marginalized person, sorry, you tend to hold a lot of things in, and then when you release it, like there's that balancing. That's a very different view to uh, the American ideal of violence, which is like violence is empowering, and yeah. we should do it because it's. And I think that's what I like about this move. This move could have been a rewrite of Go Agro, right? Mm-hmm. You you mm-hmm. you have a, a weapon and you, it's an aggressive show of force, and then you do it, but you have instead made it this like really beautiful look at violence and how uh i think like how um darkness is both useful and destructive at the same time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah um while we're talking about the structure of the move i want to ask you about the seven minus to remind everyone the mm-hmm. seven minus something has happened to your arsenal that has compromised it the keeper will tell you what it is you may have to do something specific um something has happened to your arsenal that compromises the keeper will tell you what it is Traditionally, um, and I use that word very loosely, <laughs> the structures of PBTA is that honor miss prepare for the worst, right? The the MC, yeah. the GM, the person will. Do do you have a name for GM in this? Um, keeper, right? Because they are the keeper oh, of the doors. The keeper of the it's, the it's, doors. Very it's very dramatic. It's a very dramatic. Very <laughs> uh, oh, of course. It. I just realized I actually read that word in there. That's um, <laughs> that's embarrassing, and I'm glad that no, it's not it's been recorded okay. for posterity. <laughs> um, so. The keeper. Uh, why? Why have you chosen to give this move explicit stakes and not just say like the keeper will do a hard move? Yeah, um, I go back and forth on this a lot. Like I've argued lovingly uh, with people I respect uh, about whether or not you should put a miss uh, text or not. So uh, I keep going back and forth on it. But for this one. I wanted it to be, I thought the story would be so interesting about like, you could possibly lose access to this, like, but what would happen? Like, I feel like a GM answering the question of what could possibly happen to the holy symbol arsenal that would make it not work. Is it now cursed? Is there Mm -hmm. now something attached to it? Uh, Has your own darkness like infected the holy symbol arsenal and it can no longer work? Um, and a lot of that can also bleed into the questions that you answer, that you could choose to answer when you pick up the move to. Um, so I wanted to give space for that to happen. Because like sometimes, I'm going to be honest, um, when I'm in a game as a player and the move says prepare for the worst, sometimes the GM will just pick the most boring. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh, well, it doesn't work. Or, oh, you drop your holy symbol and you can't find it. I'm like, really? That's the worst? Yeah, that- right, right. So you're giving <laughs> the the, G- or the the keeper a bit of like um, uh, forced movement toward the kind of complications that you want to see. Yeah, lovingly, That's lovingly forced. Lovingly, lovingly, of course, of course, <laughs> consensually forced. Um, so <laughs> that's really interesting. We have spoken about this as a division move for a long time. The, mm-hmm. the the division is the organization for which the players work. But what is the difference between a playbook move and a division move? Ooh, yeah. So that's a lot of fun because the playbook moves are incredibly tied to the themes of each playbook, uh, the tragedy, the disaster. They're all disaster children, right? These playbooks. Um, but the division moves, because when I was reading through the comics, I had so much fun figuring out, oh, but this is not something that's inherent to the monster, right? That they have access to. And I also wanted to give people customization abilities. Like if you decide to have an arsenal full of holy symbols, it doesn't matter what playbook you are. You can immediately have access to that the moment you can pick up a division move. Um, so a lot of them are are directly lifted from the comic, like Hero's Weapon, is Hellboy's gun that he gets from the superhero Mm -hmm. in the first few comics. Um, And I also 
pulled a holy arsenal symbol is definitely uh, Hellboy also. Honorary human status because he's kind of famous mm-hmm. in the comics. Uh, I got subcontractor because I noticed half the time when the BPRD calls an expert, it fucks things up. Oh, sorry. Is that the F? Yeah, that's, that's the one. That's the one. We've got it. <laughs> but right, like they definitely screw things over yep. for everybody. So, uh or let's say you make a character that's really grounded, but what if you want to be able to have psychic abilities? So then you pick the psychic assistance move. Right? Uh-huh. Um, can yeah, can so- I ask a question that's unclear to me from text? Um, sure. When a, when a player takes a division move, is that also unlocked for other people fictionally? So, uh, for for example, because I love my examples, if uh, our um, summoned takes the or actually our last, who's who's the the fallen angel, uh, comes in and says, you know what, holy symbol arsenal, it works perfectly for my character. It's something I want. Can our summoned then engage with that move as well and say, well, like the the arsenal is curated by the division, so I'm also going to yeah. Yeah, so, so far, I had to keep playtesting this part, but so far I tell people don't feel locked out if someone gets a division move. It just means that you are both uh, telling the story together about mm. what the holy symbols are. Uh, so I did have two people pick the holy symbol arsenal. And so when they answered the question of what holy symbol affects you negatively, which agent is it assigned to? It was assigned to the other. That's very right? good. <laughs> so I wanted to I just wanted to sort of clarify that question because I've asked it poorly there. Um, not only allowing players to to select it, but what I'm sort of asking is if if one player says that the division has the holy symbol arsenal, um, can the other players use that move without having purchased it with XP? Oh, is, is my question. Oh. Like, does it like if oh. if we know that the division yeah. has a a psychic assistance mm. medium, uh, the division mm. has the very best mediums and psychics on the payroll. Does that mean that other people can uh, engage with those NPCs fictionally and perhaps yeah. then engage with the move mechanically? And, oh, and that's so interesting. Yeah, I'm. I'm not asking. This isn't like a question where I'm. I'm yeah. hunting an answer from you. I'm yeah, interested. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know that didn't even occur to me because uh, so far what we did with the. Yeah, it becomes a very personal thing, but I like that idea, right? You unlock the resource and now everyone has access. It um, kind of like functions I'm, a bit like crew playbook moves in Blades, exactly. like where you open up for the for the crew. Yeah, I'm I'm going to test that this weekend, Sid. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm uh, I'd because, love uh, to hear how it goes. Yeah, no, because my partner he chose the holy symbol arsenal for his character, so I'm definitely gonna. No, that's fun. That's really fun. I'm definitely going to, and that's also gonna help pull the team together in a lot of cool ways. So, um, yeah, definitely, I will, I will, I will play test and see how how, how fun that mm. is. And I, I also <laughs> like that, like one of the things because of the ways you've written these moves, none of them are. Then they're not boring right one of the problems with crew uh i i love i love john harper please john don't listen to this and if you do uh forgive me one of the problems that i have with crew upgrades is that some of them are like everyone gets plus one dot in skirmish and like i get it i get what it's there for i get it it's useful it's functional and it's and i understand it but there is no version of this that is like (laughs) that makes life less complicated for anyone in in the perfect (laughs) way of like if you say um uh, Fey liaison. Somehow the division has formed an alliance with one of the many Fey royals, and you're assigned to work with a liaison. Everyone can now call upon them for help. That does not make life easier. That yeah, makes life yeah. much harder. 
<laughs> yeah, because like I really enjoy when you pick something that could help you but could also go horribly wrong. Mm. Um, I think that's the best kind of. And I agree, like um, John Harper. I also love your games, uh, but uh, I agree that when uh, when I play other Forge in the Dark games that are based off of that idea. Most of my players are like, I like this. It makes sense mechanically, but it's boring. And they usually don't pick it. Yeah. Yep. 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 And and I think that, so to like go off track a little bit, I think those moves are really good for people that, that do just want to like add one to a stat. Yeah. Like, I think that's totally fair. Um, but yeah. that is not the kind of game that Apocalypse Keys is. Um, oh, yeah. Apocalypse Keys is all feelings, all cost, all complications. Oops, all disaster babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Um, I did write a note down and now I have forgotten what, oh yeah, skill-based system and metaphor. So, uh, no, I don't want to talk about that first. I want to talk about, this. oh yes, arsenal. I want to talk about the word arsenal. I love that this move is about having access to a collection of objects, not a particular object. There is a version of this move that could exist in a game like Dungeon World, where it is, Mm. you have a holy symbol, you know, you are a cleric, you have a holy symbol, um... And because you have that equipment, you can then do this move. Can you please talk to me about, or I want to talk about, and so can you please start us off uh, about designing equipment as moves and how that changes the stories we tell? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, I don't like it when equipment is just there to tick off or to write down. I feel like equipment, just like any other thing, um, any other part of the story could be there to tell more of the story. Um, and the way I envisioned it, because when I looked at the comics with Hellboy, I loved it when he he just pulled out this huge group of symbols and he was like, which one is it? No, it's oh, not this it's one. So good. Yeah. <laughs> is it this one? So I like the idea of like a player could do that or they could choose to like, they pull out a different one each time. I've had one player when they use this move, uh, it's, it's in, it's on their person. Um, but every time they pull out the symbol changes, it oh. responds to what's going on, right? Oh. So I I That's really good. love equipment moves that help you tell a story and help you, rather than just saying, okay, you have this and mm-hmm. just write it down in your inventory, right? Like it's never going to change. It's always this thing. Um, I think that's way too static because um, I think the strength of Powered by the Apocalypse is that it's a perpetually moving story right it's always shifting and changing uh that's why i joke you can't really plan for a ppta game mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's makes it that's what makes it fun for me uh but yeah that's that's definitely i i like the idea of equipment uh as a move rather than just the equipment lets you do something i think that's not as interesting and your goal for this is to release it as um like do, do you have an idea in mind of what the finale of apocalypse keys looks like yeah, because um, so far, what I really want is like an excuse to have this big, badass movie finale kind of moment where you can take aspects from all the mysteries um, that <gasps> oh, you've solved so good. far. And then it comes together. Like, I'm still working that out, like how much structure I want to put into it, um, like how much I want to lean into it. So it's definitely still a lot of practice because like so far with every group, um it takes a while to go through the mystery it takes like about two to four sometimes six sessions like if there's a lot of kissing and uh <laughs> <laughs> if there's a lot of disaster stuff it takes us more sessions to solve the mystery yep yep because <laughs> we're too busy um kissing <laughs> but you have like i have joked around <laughs> yep 
I have joked around that sometimes I feel like we're playing monster hearts like mm-hmm. more than anything else. Um, because it's also there uh, in, in some of the moves. It really encourages it. But but yeah, so I still have to do a lot to to figure out where the end game is going to be. I just want it to be climactic, cinematic, mm. really fun, really big, uh, really great. The Hard Move was created by Matthew Grevelin and it's hosted and produced by me, Sydney Acheris. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Hard Move and find bonus content, including full-length episodes at patreon.com slash thehardmove. Our music is by Nick Grevelin. You can find his work at nickgrevelin.com. Content featured in this episode is from Apocalypse Keys by our guest Jamila Najani. You can follow Jammy at Temporal Hiccup and find their work on Itch under the same name. Please don't forget forward slash hardmove25. Get yourself the 25% off and make me look good to my friend. Mark experience.